1: The evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire.
0: This week, Multiplicity.
1: In the year 1996, I guess Andy McDowell made another film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, she didn't. She's only in that one film.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are we, car-
2: we going to carry this on from the last book interview you did with me where you just hated on Andy McDowell? <laughs> like like she was an ex girl from high school that said no to you? You can't get over it or what?
1: I don't hate Andy McDowell. My ex girlfriend hated Andy McDowell. Okay, no now rob- that has definitely no rob- changed.
2: Okay, a woman. <laughs> okay, the last movie that we did, Groundhog's Day. You didn't say that it was somebody else who didn't like her. It was like you just didn't like her. But now we're gonna now we're gonna transition the blame to somebody else that doesn't like her. So we're moving along the scale.
0: <laughs> Luke, my, what might have happened is you explained it to me, and then in the last podcast, you just assumed that it, since I knew, you didn't have to explain it.
2: And now we've yeah, got lost situation. in translation from like from like yeah. Japan to Seattle. <laughs> uh
0: Anyway, this is Matt here with me today. Is Steve and Steve? Hi,
1: Steve. Oh, hi, Rika. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, I'm just leaving your name is Rico. We, we will introduce Van Galt, our guest, our Buddhist correspondent. Thanks for coming in again.
2: I love it. I, I love these little movie um, reviews that we do.
0: And uh, Thank you for having me. Of course. We've got Multiplicity today. And Luke's up now. Luke's on. Okay, I'm the only one. I'm just going to stare at myself
1: then. I think Luke's computer finally died. yeah well it is literally as you know held together with some clamps (laughs) (laughs) okay
0: i'll just be in my own little world here today then that's fine (laughs) um i would i think yeah multiplicity this was the first time i actually watched it and i couldn't figure out why i was like it seems like i would have seen this back in the day um and i noticed that the release date was july 17th 1996 which would have been the atlanta olympics so we weren't going out to the movies and i think i that's also the month i had a trip to europe so i just simply was not in the movie theater uh, this particular month and missed this one until now so i didn't realize like it was basically like a weird sequel to groundhog day till the credits started rolling
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i, I, I like i liked it i i i've always liked it and watching it again i remember why i still like it
1: Luke, how many views have you had on this one? I, I had heard the name Multiplicity. That was my full interaction with this film until I watched it last night.
0: Okay, Yeah, pretty much here. Like I said, it's, it, it is that time I would have seen in the theater, but it was a, a real busy month. So um, I guess for Luke and myself, we'll do the first impressions. And my, I don't, my impressions is it's kind of a movie of a different time. And that's not to say necessarily it's dated. But it really, like, on the whole cloning aspect, it really hyper focuses on a few things, and then like completely ignores other ramifications, which is (laughs) mildly amusing as well. But yeah, that 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 was my first take.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it definitely it felt like extremely nineties. It's one of those films like Michael Keaton was carrying this film on his back real hard because. All the good scenes of this film are just Michael Keaton interacting with michael keaton um but Michael Keaton's great, so the film works
0: yeah um the impetus for for me to to really get into this one was um well, of course i've been talking to Vaughn about the next movie I do, but um our other off i can guess to Andrew is like, oh, that's a movie where Michael Keaton sticks a pizza in his while. I'm like, oh, I have to watch that
1: yeah <laughs> I, I, I remember that. When we got to that scene, I was like, wait, for some reason, Matt's told me repeatedly about my cookie and putting a pizza in his wallet. So I guess it's from this.
0: Yeah, that, that was what I was most excited about watching this movie. I was like, there goes the pizza. Yay. Because yep. <laughs> it makes sense. You know, you got a nice piece of pizza you put it in your wallet, right? You save it for later. <laughs>
2: yeah. No, you just eat it right there. <laughs> Ew, it, it's fresh.
0: I did narrowly miss my wallet from falling in the toilet yesterday. So that was good. Because uh, you know, well, I travel with a lot of stuff in Japan. I got my backpack. I, I didn't have a jacket because it's warm, but I had several things. I'm ha- have it precariously hanging. I'm leaving the restroom, and I just got that like quick catch, so that that was good.
1: I have real. I put wallets through the washing machine and accidentally put them in the trash and all that kind of thing. So,
0: I, I had real fast reflexes yesterday. Our, our our mutual coworker Maddie, he um decided to, to hacky sack kick a a, a um a ball which flew like two inches past my head and I didn't flinch. So (laughs) I'm just, Mm. I'm too used to having balls thrown at my head at this point.
2: (laughs) It might be an, is it an occupational hazard as a teacher?
0: Yes. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we have very soft, soft balls for that purpose, but it's gotten to the point. I think Luke can say this as well, where you're saying class and the kid throws at your head and you just do like this insane fast catch, or you just like, slightly duck out of the way and the kids are like wow because you look like a ninja or something it's
1: great (laughs) sometimes it's that or sometimes i deliberately show as little reaction as possible so they think i'm really tough right
2: (laughs) okay so matt you dodge and luke you just take it like yeah just hit hit really good (laughs) i just took it like a man yeah
0: uh (laughs) so uh Von, did you see this in the theater back in the day, or or was this like a a, a well worn VHS? I noticed it was actually one of the first DVD releases back in '98 as well. But
2: well, I mean, I, I I was still a kid, so I watched it on um, I think I watched it on TV. But yeah, I did not watch it in the theater, and I thought it was really funny. But now watching it as an adult, I I can relate more be because some of these. You know, struggles that he and his wife, Lauren, have. I totally can understand because, obviously, as a mom and a working mom and a parent, all that kind of stuff, trying to balance the work-life balance and the relationships. I completely understand um, the struggles that he has and, you know, why he chose to do what he did. Um, so, I can relate more than when I was a kid watching it because when I was a kid watching Multiplicity, it was just funny. But... Mm. Now I get more of the symbolism, but I want to really get into the genetic aspect of the, the clones, because I, th- I think it was really funny how um, how they pick certain personas.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something we're going to talk about. But um, actually, before you go too deep, I feel like this is one where people might be stumbling and having not just watched it. So, um, uh-huh. <laughs> Luke, did you did you wake up too late for that
1: summary? I've got a summary. It's not very detailed, but it'll it'll give you the gist.
0: Okay, it's a, I, and this I feel like it's just like this is a useful reminder for people. Sort of summary. So here yeah. it is.
1: Doug Kinney is a working man with a family and no time. He bumps into geneticist Dr. Leeds, who gives him the solution, a clone. The clone takes over work so Doug can enjoy life. But slowly, they wizards apprentice themselves with another clone and another. Doug's life falls apart until he realizes he didn't need more time. He just needed to appreciate the time he had. And the clones drive off into the sunset to open a pizza shop.
0: Right. It almost sounded like you made a joke at the end, but you didn't. And that's what happened in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um. We usually go a little bit through the actors, and and yeah, it is mostly the Michael Keaton show. But um, Luke, what was what was my first response to the actors in this movie? I, I feel I like know. you
1: can
0: guess this. No, Q's here. Oh God, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I didn't, like, I didn't catch him in the um, opening credits for whatever reason. So when he walked on screen, I was like, ah.
0: <laughs> I feel like I don't see John Delancey outside of many things other than Star Trek. So yeah, I same. Like,
1: oh. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else. Star- I mean, I'm sure I have. But.
0: Yeah, he should be. He's a good actor. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's a bit player. Eugene Levy. Uh, also, I-, I don't know if you know Eugene Levy so well. What well, he's done? Yeah, he did like
1: American Pie and stuff. So I know him from a bit later.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I-, I keep ranting on about SCTV, and you're like, "What? What is this thing?" So <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much what SCTV
1: is. Though you you get it or you don't. I guess I will briefly say on the actors: this is not a film with great child actors. That's why they w- shove them out the door within five minutes. <laughs> yeah, there,
2: there wasn't there wasn't very many children in the picture. It was mostly Michael Keaton and a couple yeah. of scenes with his wife.
0: Yeah, I was like, I, I see. I, I'm lucky in that my daughter was more mature than me by age five. So <laughs> <laughs> I just. I, <laughs> don't remember having to deal with that sort of situation <laughs> with the kids. Well, I have kids going nuts in, at work, but uh, yeah, I yeah. didn't quite have that going on in the house. And at work, it's a little different, you know, right? It's just like, I'm, I'm dealing with this. Where at home, it's like, ah, oh, this is my life, which I guess is the whole thing about multiplicity.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole premise of, of multiplicity is that Doug, he's a working dad. He works in the Construction trade, and he basically just struggles with work-life balance, um, and you know, wanting to kind of check out and balance his relationships. And so he just he he really has a hard time creating boundaries and saying no. Like he's if you watch the the movie and count how many times he agrees to everything, it's a lot, and no Maybe. wonder he's over, he's overwhelmed and exhausted. He never says no.
0: Yeah, there is a certain uh, need to to use that word here and again. Um, One thing I like when this is, I guess, the thing I've noticed in Japan is if people say they can do something, they usually can. And if they don't, then they won't. Although there is the uh, the slippery slope of uh, I don't know if that's possible or, you know, let me think about it means no. no, That's just
1: yeah, that's how they say no.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no one actually says no. So like, oh, I'm not sure about that means no. And you just have to read it after a while. Because I, I don't know. I feel like in America, people are way too much like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. And uh-huh. they, they, really, they really can't.
1: <laughs> no, when that's in Britain, true. and Britain, it's, they'll just say no, even they'll if they can't. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll say <laughs> no to try and get out of it. And you got to be like, I'm pretty sure you can, dude. <laughs> that's
2: funny. So in so in Japan, it's very common for people to, to kind of say a soft no. Mm. So in a polite way so you kind of have to read between the line like a, like a passive no and then in, in britain and in the uk it's a hard no but it can be yes or no
1: yeah pretty much <laughs> okay
2: okay so well i mean in the states it's very common and you guys probably know this as well but it's very common that everybody says yes and it, it, i mean they have classes on how to say no and create boundaries and work-life balance and all that because everybody's a yes person the yes ma'am the yes guy the, you know what? so mm. and this is this is a recurring thing because um they didn't touch on this in multiplicity in that um you know, He was having a hard time balancing his responsibilities and all the things that he committed to with work and his wife going back to work and the things he committed to and that she committed to. But they barely touch on this, but they didn't really go into the life of the kids and what kind of commitments they had signed up for. But in America, it's very, very common for families to overschedule themselves with so many activities that it's they just don't ever have time to really have time for themselves or have family time and it's 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 a big problem that a lot of people balance
0: in in japan they just give you a ton of schoolwork i think uh for kids
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, Uh, in japan you're allowed one club activity and that's it
2: really (laughs) only one you could you could tell
1: in the film though like because he's running to dance class with her and then football class with him and then i think he had a karate uniform on at one point as well so (laughs) there's definitely a bunch going on
0: is that a nineties thing? I don't know. Although I have found, like, yeah, now my daughter's in junior high. Sometimes they're they're still up when I get home, so which is like eleven p.m. So, oh my goodness,
2: <laughs> yeah, that that's that's a hard one too because you don't want to deprive the children of their extracurricular activities at the same time. Whatever activities they take, you're signed up for too. Mm. So if you're working, if you are, um, you know, obviously. Taking care of the house, like, you know, doing the the chores, et cetera. Those errands, household chores. And then the kids, whatever activities they have, you got to pick them up. You got to get their stuff. Oh, and don't forget schoolwork. And school is also another activity because parents are involved now in sh- terms of getting all of the stuff that they need for school. So you start adding up all the activities. And very quickly, you run out of time and energy. So, I think I think people just need to simplify. I mean, what does the Buddha say? They always say keep it simple, simplify, simplify. Right. In neutral.
0: Which, this movie is about like maximum complication, basically. <laughs> How comp? You know, more more is more complicated in this case. I guess is is the the point, <laughs> as opposed to more makes things easier.
2: Yeah, the the geneticist, I thought was very fascinating in that um, unlike the different clones that Michael Keaton had, because each one of them, you know, fulfill a certain persona to meet the uh, activity that they're tasked to do. So, you know, clone number one was the manly work-related guy that did just the construction career. And then clone number two was the one that was more effeminate and did the household chores and um clone clone number three was kind of an accident sort of. Clone number two took him to and took went in and cloned himself. So you got a clone from the copy. And so it came out a little bit, um, I don't know if the correct word is it had a little bit of special needs because it not everything was there. So uh so I thought that was very interesting. But the geneticist, when you were looking at his clones, they all seemed kind of the same. They weren't as as different as the clones that Doug had.
0: He might be a more centered person. Um, You know, the idea that well, Luke and I have talked about, about, you know, you put on masks in different situations, which maybe Michael Keaton or Doug, I should say, does like a lot of that. Whereas the geneticist may like basically appear to pretty much interact
1: with everyone the same way. I hadn't really noticed it was a thing that was happening until you got three in the picture.
0: Same here. I couldn't really, I was like, which one's the clone? Like before. I was just um, like,
1: well, he's at work. So I guess he's just acting like that because he's at work. But then once you saw the three of them interacting, you could tell their personalities were drifting apart.
0: Yeah. That's, and I, I kind of like that because I was like, well, I, I really can't tell them apart at first, but mm. then I, um, you know, later on, it was very clear, which I, I, I guess that's a good acting choice. Because uh, he's supposed to, when he wakes up, the cl- the first clone, he's supposed to, you know, like the whole conceit is like he thinks he's the real one, right, at first. Mm.
1: I was actually surprised that they went right ahead and was like, "Nope, look, you got two on your ear, you're definitely the clone. And they didn't yeah. actually leave it more vague as like, ooh, which one's the clone? Which one's real? Who knows? Well, they were. That was you not know, really a thing.
0: They had cameras and stuff on the procedure, right? So,
1: No, but um, <laughs> like... Deliberate like a in the uh the comic book Invincible, there's a pair of villains who are clones one of the clones of each other, but every time they make a new clone, they deliberately don't let themselves know which one was the clone right. so they can both live thinking they're the original, mm. right? But yeah, well, they maybe... very much don't do that.
2: Here. Well, there was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he had a clone, oh, yeah, and the, the clone didn't. Yeah, the clone didn't know that he was a clone until they showed him that you have to look underneath your eyelid and that's your identifier as a clone Mm. is underneath your eyelids. And that's how he found out that he was the clone. Otherwise, he thought he was the real thing. Um, But they didn't have any of those kind of markers on these clones in multiplicity, so so that the audience can keep track and follow the storyline. I like that they made him so different from from one another.
0: And, you know, it's like where you're saying this is pretty much the Michael Keaton show, but um, I I guess Michael Keaton really is someone that you can just throw an entire movie on because he's done it several times now, I guess. Yep. <laughs> A Birdman is pretty much that, if I remember correctly.
1: <laughs> you here, you're getting to see him and. In- all the different Mike Michael Keaton roles I'm familiar with, you get like a little version of that in this. So there are Correct. scenes where he's playing like, you know, um Spider-Man Homecoming, Tough Guy Vulture, Michael Keaton. And then there's scenes where he's camping it up as like Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton.
0: And Mr. Mom.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, it's funny because like when I look at when I look at the the different characters or the different um versions of michael keaton i think in terms of like like buddhism we have the philosophy and this is much in many asian traditions as well that there are multiple versions of people and there are multiple versions of reality you can call them parallel realities the multiverse mandela effect whatever you want to call them and um in they're all the same person, but they're all expressing themselves differently and they are all having different journeys. And then when they all come back together in basically in source or in heaven or whatever you want to call that, they all come back together and then they um, kind of check each other's notes like, Oh, I did this and I did that. And I learned this and I grew that it's, it's, just, it's a way to multiply yourself in to multiple different areas and then come back as one and regroup and then Mm. have this big, almost like a big bang explosion of consciousness. So that's the basic generic idea. But if you look at multiplicity, the movie from a Buddhist angle, like I do, it's interesting that they take the multiple versions of a person's persona um, or soul and then have them all express as these clones in the same reality in the same space so in some traditions they would call that the double ganger or you know you can you can call it like a twin Mm. sometimes um but there there are traditions where they they talk about even if it's not twins that you have a carbon copy of your soul existing in the world at the same time that you're existing you just usually don't run into each other
1: but other people
2: might run into you well, I've always liked the idea that
1: we are all the same soul, experiencing mm-hmm. different things. Right, that's we are. True. We are just the universe experiencing itself.
2: And that is that is also a very fundamental idea as well. When you when you express the concept of um, consciousness, everyone is a fractal expression of the same being, and we're and that's, basically that's having that even in like
1: physics. And like as we're trying to scientifically understand consciousness they're more and more looking at it as from that sort of angle i think
2: yeah, yeah so there's a lot like- of different ways that we can we can you can see this and but it's always fun to kind of separate yourself out a little bit so that you can observe yourself and kind of entertain yourself based on these differences mm.
0: I sort of wonder if this movie is made now, because this uh, I I do remember when it came out, it was like, oh, this movie's really like pushing special effects because we got four Keatons. I feel like now we'd probably have like thirty of them or something, you know?
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, I do, Um, obviously there are one or two moments where I could see like the flickering of the green screen and stuff, but mostly it worked well. Again, like everything in this film, it worked well because Michael Keaton's really good.
0: Yeah, you're not really watching for those uh, edges nah. on the effects. You're you're Just yeah. watching
1: him like bounce off himself.
0: I was also thinking one of the, I think maybe the best cinematic example of all those other, you know, variants of us is 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 that scene with Neo at the end of Matrix Reloaded, right, where you see him basically having every emotion on the television at once,
1: right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that that yeah. came to mind and that's where i was also thinking geo i wonder if multiplicity actually had like more Ketons you know too many ketons <laughs>
2: you gotta get to have some control over the multiple personality disorder <laughs> oh, it's the- like the it's like source uh when it's or source or god or what, consciousness when it's split off into multiple personalities it's having this multiple personality the episode of itself and they're all expressed as individual beings with their own egos and their own personas and their own avatars and you know but it's it's all the same consciousness allowed to express itself in infinite ways and and it's basically just watching and observing and it feels like we as the audience are watching and observing the same thing in the movie but we're like source looking into How's this experiment going to happen?
0: The other bit that came to mind when you mentioned doppelgangers, I, I do the Twilight Zone podcast, and there's an episode Mirror Image, which has basically the doppelgangers that are out to get you. Um, <laughs> and I'm I'm kind of feeling like if these guys didn't drive off to Florida and start a pizza place, they'd probably all be plotting to off each other
1: a week later, you know. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that maybe you probably would do differently these days is there wasn't much conflict between the clones, really. Oh, like, yeah. They, they, they mostly just did what Doug said, even when it's like, because in their memories, they're as married to Laura as he is, right? Mm-hmm. They remember the, the whole of his life. It was just like, no, you're not allowed to see or touch or sleep with your wife ever. Most They just pretty much accepted it. And then even when she was coming onto them, they were like, try to act like they were interested.
2: Well, okay, so let's talk about the, the sex scene. Okay, <laughs> the big <laughs> can we go can we, t- can we talk about a big confusing sex scene? <laughs> so so because most of, half the movie is Doug going off sailing and he's going off playing golf and he's doing all the fun things that he wants to do that he can't do because of all the commitments that he's he's engaged in with work and with his children's activities and then trying to um, balance the house chores and responsibilities since his wife went back into the real estate career. And so he has all these clones doing all the heavy lifting as he goes and does all the fun stuff. But then what you find out very quickly is that, and what he finds out is that he's missing out on his life Mm. because the clones are living his life and they're having those those sacred moments um, with, you know, people in their life. They're having those moments and those aha moments in the, in the job or with the kids or, you know, with the wife. And I mean, the list goes on and on, but he's basically missing out because he's checked out completely. So um, what did you guys think about all those times when he was basically lollygagging around?
0: For me, I I find I'm actually at my most productive when I don't have much time. When I have too many things to do, because when I have tons of time, nothing gets done, right? Because you know, I got all day. But like like today, I'm pretty busy. I'm getting this podcast in. I got a few things done before the podcast. Uh, You know, I'll 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 be working on music on the train. I'm actually going to be quite productive today, but I'm also pretty busy. So
1: yeah, the element of he just. He felt like he needed this time, but it's not like he had something specific he wanted to do with the time. He just felt trapped by life, but you know, that's life.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, the, yeah. There's,
1: there's the line, which I think three says, which was like, because Doug says, Oh, you know, I wanted to spend quality time with my family, but it's been low quality time. And at the end he says, well, it was all quality time.
2: Hmm. Hmm. I could agree <laughs> with that. Yeah. Cause the highs and the lows and the sideways times they are all quality because they're all parts of his, of his life. I mean, life is, is not just, you know, high all the time in, in the clouds, there's different facets and dimensions to life. So, um, I mean, it, I think it's a relatable story because a lot of people, they just think that they, you know, want to check out and have a, a life as like a vacation all the time. But then you do get kind of bored with these endless vacations and want to Get back into your career or get back into whatever projects you're doing. So it's a balance. I think the story, the moral of the whole story for me is that um, you just have to balance your life. And it's something that everybody, I think, for the most part, is trying to do is balance their life. can we get to the sex part, please? All right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) Well, what was weird about that is what was happening was pretty ridiculous, but it kept playing like the the music would be like the here's something sweet and romantic happening music. But is something sweet and romantic happening here or is something a little bit gross and not quite okay happening here? (laughs) This woman is not having sex with who she thinks she is. (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay, right. so so this would be funny. Okay, so let me let, let me give the, the everybody a, a a general overview of the, the sex part. This. this this the funniest part of the whole thing. So um number two, the effeminate house chore guy, is tasked to basically play Doug day and night because he's going off sailing on a day night trip. So he's gonna go play hooky. So, that night, his wife, Laura, seduces him. And so, they end up having sex. So, number two, the house, the house chores guy has sex with Laura. She goes downstairs after to get crackers and chocolate, and she runs into clone number one, who is the manly work guy. And he goes into the kitchen just to go and get cereal because they ran out of cereal. So what happens? Laura seduces him, too. <laughs> and then they they end up um, having sex. And then he goes off. And number three, this is the special needs clone that was a copy of the copy. He goes and he, he's outside and he's drenched in the rain. And Laura sees that and brings him inside to dry him off and then she seduces him so she she hits all three clones and um all three of them are going oh boy what did we do how did this happen oh my god so let me let me ask let me ask you guys this if you were laura wouldn't you think there's something weird going on with your spouse that because they are all kind of different from each other, and they're all changing different outfits every single time in that night.
1: I guess so, but on the other hand, like, you'd never guess that this was going on, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I would just assume that off-screen, she's a stoner.
2: (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if, if my husband... If I see him wearing one thing, and then literally ten minutes later or five minutes later, he's wearing a completely different outfit, I would usually question, how did you change your outfit so quickly?" And then this, it happens again. It's like, "How did you end up out there, and why is your outfit changed?" And um, the personality is so different that i mean i'm I'm usually really observant. And I notice those subtle cues and differences in people and in things. Um, you know, As a Buddhist, a- as you work on raising your consciousness, you are noticing differences in reality from one version of reality to another. And you're also noticing differences in people from one version of people to another to see if you have raised your consciousness and you are switching between different versions of reality. So getting a little metaphysical. But at the very base level... You should be able to notice those nuances that are pretty obvious, especially in this movie. But she it completely bypassed her and she didn't even catch any of that. And so I'm thinking, What's what's wrong with this picture? How can you not notice the difference?
0: Yeah, I can I can see that. I, I dated a girl. I dated a twin in high school. Actually I started dating her right about the time this movie came out because it was that that uh aforementioned Europe trip. But um yeah, so like before I was dating her I usually couldn't tell her and her twin apart. When we were dating, they looked and seemed quite different from each other. And then, Mm. you know, we did for a while, broke up, whatever, and I saw them again later and they looked the same again. So (laughs) it was kind of weird. Like while, while I was dating her, I could tell the difference really easily, but not otherwise.
1: I will say, though, it is a little disappointing. And this is something I think a lot of movies in the 90s did, that he basically gets away with it scot free by the end. There's never a scene where she actually finds out about the other clones or anything. Um, well, I, would have, I would have liked to have had that scene where she suddenly walks in and there's four Michael Keatons.
2: Yeah, now he has to explain himself, which um, didn't happen. The, the closest thing that we got was at the very, very end when the three clones um, drive off to Florida. They're at a stop sign and Laura is there with the kids in the car and they look over and they see the three clones and and she just has this dumbfounded face that's it yeah and then they
1: play so, it as a little gag they don't actually, she doesn't actually like find out find out
2: yeah so even let's let's say let's say you speculate and she goes home and she's talking to her husband and she said I just drove by this car and I looked over and it was you three versions of you in the car and I don't know am I going crazy did I did it really happen? I mean, I would have that kind of dump out mm. conversation where I'm kind of mystified and myth about what just happened. And maybe he would come clean. Maybe he won't come clean.
1: I mean, after the rest of the film, I would imagine he's not going to come clean. Yeah, right? <laughs> he doesn't seem the type.
2: <laughs> and she's not going to question it any further either. She doesn't seem the type to question very much.
1: Well, she, like Addie McDowell's character in this, Apart from one or two scenes, does not have a lot of agency. Uh, like there's a there's a bit really early in the film where like he basically gives her permission to go back to her job, but she's like, "Yay, thanks!" and high fives him.
2: Yeah, uh, like what's up really, with that? That is that yeah. realistic, Luke? Matt, is that really realistic that the 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 wife just kind of, oh yeah, hey, go along, you know? Maybe question it anything. was
1: when this film, well, when the people who wrote this film. <laughs> For that age, but yeah, I, I don't think you'd get away with that sort of dynamic well, these
2: days. Yeah, well, I mean, once she started working, she she definitely had a hard line that she was not going to quit her job. She was enjoying it, and that he's just going to have to figure it out.
1: Yeah, she got but, a bit of backbone back at that point.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think maybe they just stretched out that particular thread like a little too far cuz when she's I, I thought it was reasonable when she's like I'm thinking of going back to work and they talk about it. I mean that that seems normal. But then later mm-hmm. when he's like, "Oh, I think you should quit it actually." You know, that that seemed a little weird.
1: Yeah.
2: a also had a hard line. Well, I mean it's it, like m- many couples and I know for myself um with my husband and I, we you know, before we have um make decisions on career paths and taking jobs and adding on, you know, different responsibilities, we have a discussion about it. And like a healthy relationship, we'll have, we'll have a discussion, well, how would we manage this? Do we have the resources and the time and energy to add this to the picture, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's a normal conversation that many healthy couples will have before they make a decision Uh, Before one person makes a decision that impacts everybody else. So, like Andy McDowell going back to work is going to impact everybody else. And um, and I don't think that Michael Keaton's character, Doug, really thought it through comprehensively. First, that when she goes back to work, there was going to be a sharing of household responsibilities, et cetera. And so, when it finally came into fruition, that's when he lived out the decision that should have been discussed earlier. So um, he found out that, yeah, she's not going to quit her job and that he's going to have to figure it out.
1: It's definitely a true thing that a lot of guys don't realize how much effort goes into, like, doing things at home and having a job. And when they watch their wives do it, they think it's easy. And then, like, in this, he gets a taste of it for, like, three weeks. And he's like, no, 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 I can't do it. You have to do it. Like he says, you know, you're a natural caregiver, that's why you have breasts.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. That's that's a typical guy response. And the typical gal response that I totally can relate to Anna McDowell's character is to just throw it back to to him and say, um, I think you have evolved beyond that and he can can see some multi dimensional perspective on this that we can't do multiple things and it's not just a cookie, cookie cutter um, box that you know you put your wife into so I, I, and I think also this may be a time thing because in the 80s men in the 80s may especially in America may be different than men now because there's a lot of men now that work and they also um, have a Personal life balance where they take on some of the household chores, these couples split household chores. Um, the the dad picks up the children and participates in those extracurricular activities. So it's not all dumped on the wife to do um the work and also um take care of the children and the household responsibilities. So it's more kind of uh divided in a more equal way now. Whereas when you compare those Dimensions now to Michael Keaton's time in the way that they pick nuclear relationships back in the 80s. It was more polarizing where the guys had their roles, just work and that's it. And then the women had their roles, which was all the domestic responsibilities. And then, of course, the, it, work as well, if you can bring that into the picture.
1: Well, yeah, so, in this film, to have the character who, who can do the household chores Michael Keaton played him as like incredibly camp. Like the, the whole joke was here is a man who does woman things. Ha, ha Isn't that funny?
0: Well, that's, that was what I was saying with Mr. Mom. That was a movie he made in the eighties, which was totally like, basically he was reprising that role in this movie because mm. <laughs> he did. He'd already done it. It was a pretty popular comedy in the mid eighties, but is pretty well, I think completely forgotten at this point. Uh, sorry if there's giant Mr. Mom fans out there, but, <laughs> um, one thing, you, yeah, you mentioned the nuclear family. I'm like, I guess to a certain extent, that could be a mistake. Um, I live in sort of a generational house, so there's there's always like a little bit of uh, like we can all pick up the slack for each other a little bit more, you know. Mm-hmm. When there's a lot of mm-hmm. those extracurricular activities, because my my in laws are here or at the uh, you know the farmhouse that's pretty close. My wife's sister lives right up the road, and everyone kind of like. Uh, supports each other a little more in a way that uh we'd be going nuts if we were just you know uh two parents and a kid right
2: well you're in japan aren't you matthew so is it a cultural thing because in america it's very common that pretty much everybody's on their (laughs) on their own if they happen to have family close by a family that is able to kind of help pick up the slack with the the children that's you know, not a very common, but it is a blessing.
1: Well, um, I dated a girl from the Philippines and she was saying like her mum had told her not to date Western guys because we all, <laughs> we all leave, we leave home and we live on our own and we're not family oriented in the way their culture is. And yeah, me and Matt do live in Japan and it's definitely way more of a thing here. Um, the reason Japan, like people, when people hear about them, they think they're really seedy. But Japan has the love hotels where couples go to spend like a night, or even just spend an hour. But it's because everyone lives in a house with like them, their kids, their parents, their grandparents, all in one big like multi generational house. So if you want to spend time with your wife or partner or whatever, you've got to go and stay in a hotel for a night.
2: Yeah, see that's a that's a lot that's a lot different because um, here in the United States, it's very very common for. Very much like the, like the multiplicity multiplicity movie that um, you your family l- lives in their own house. Let's say you may have uh, a, a, in- a mother-in-law suite or a section in the home and she lives with you, um, and you're, you're caretaking your elderly parents, and that happens as people progress to that point in their life as well. But more common during the primetime years, um, it's the spouse and the kids and they live in the home and they're basically um, left to try to take care of themselves. They don't really get a lot of support. Um, support comes in the form of daycares and maybe like a nanny or a child care service that, that you guys may use to kind of help. Babysitting; those those are the kind of supports that you get, which typically in other cultures that are more inclusive of family, in part of your life every day, they're the ones picking up the slack and giving you that kind of support. So it's it's very different. But the thing is, is that we don't have to do go to a love hotel uh, because we already <laughs> live in our own place. Right. Yeah. So, like- but now, but now we do date night. <laughs> so. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've I lived basically on my own since I was nineteen. It's pretty unheard of, I think, in Japan.
0: Yeah, I've got a, I've I've, I've got a pretty wide contrast because I grew up. Uh, I'm an only child. Uh, I grew up in Atlanta, the, so the closest extended family was like Delaware, quite far away. That's like a fifteen-hour hmm. drive, right? And um, yeah, and my cousins, uh, my cousins are like. 10 years older than me or more, or then the next generation is like 10 years younger. So there's like no one my age in my family. So I grew up like in a pretty isolated, you know, like a three person family. And now I'm in this like much bigger, tight knit one. So it, yeah, I kind of got the extremes on both ends. of that Which one
2: do you prefer, Matthew, since you've had a taste of both cultures? Which one do you prefer better? What's, what's much, much, what's much more pleasant for you? Well,
0: like I prefer the current situation, but when I was 15, I probably preferred that situation, right?
2: No, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Like,
0: like I'm such a different person now than I was then, like, maybe that was the situation that fit me at the time, whereas this is more the situation that fits me at this time. So,
1: well, okay. How about this one? Could you imagine like you and your wife raising Hannah without the support network of the family?
0: No, not really. again there's also the the language gap in my case because I yeah yeah, i can't really take care of all the nitty-gritty stuff especially when it comes to paperwork
2: (laughs) okay here's another dimension to add in there you actually get along with your in-laws so living with them and having them be you know live in support systems is helpful there are lots of people who don't get along with their family that well so they don't want to Live together in an extended home.
1: Cause... Yeah, that's why I left home at
2: nineteen. Look, <laughs> like you imagine? A lot
1: more now that I don't live with them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so look, you're you're not you're not down with the whole living with your your in laws or living with your um, direct family and sharing the household with them. No, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I like my space. I mean, for me, it's very like. I found like I get along with my mother really well when we don't live in the same city, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Same. I get along really well with my family now that they're on the other side of the planet.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is funny. Well, you know, different choices, but yeah, it, 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 I think it really makes a difference. I mean the whole, again, the whole thing is just work life balance and trying to you know balance the responsibilities and the commitments Saying no when you have to and just setting boundaries for yourself. And it's it's a really good life lesson. Um, it's a basic life lesson in Buddha, Buddhism. Um, it, it's kind of foundational to set boundaries and have discernment uh, with with different things that you take up. But, um, yeah, I, it, I guess it really just depends on the person. Some people, it depends on the, the lot that they have and the people that they have to choose from. So. I don't know. My husband and I have have made it work, but we do get help. My in-laws live 10 minutes from the house (laughs) and they and if if they didn't come and get the kids and and be part of their life on a on an almost daily basis, they won't see them unless it's on holidays or some maybe special weekends here and there. Mm. And they're fully retired. And that's not how they want to spend their time. They want to be involved more often, and so they volunteered to be involved more often. And but they want their own space, so they live in their own house. But so um, so I can't really say that I'm fully in the Michael Keaton movie <laughs> of multiplicity when it comes to you're on your own, figure it out on your own. You have no help from the in-laws or your direct parents or any of your siblings. Because you didn't see anybody come in. I didn't see brothers, sisters. I didn't see moms and dads or grandparents coming in and taking the, the, you know, doing some of the chores with the kids and some of the other activities. I didn't see any of that.
1: We only see that when Andy McDowell leaves him at the end. <laughs> we see her dad briefly, but yeah, right. for the most part, we don't get to see any of that.
0: One thing that does happen yeah. in Japan a lot is uh, just for that space, you'll see couples build a house like next to one of their parents house so it's it's pretty
2: yes
0: cool that, that they'll just they'll they'll keep their space but like i said for me one of the things that helps is we we all live in the same house but there's the farmhouse so usually my in-laws are like out like in the summer especially they're off to the farmhouse by like 6 30 in the morning yeah that's a good so,
2: that's a good that's a good thing too uh, well you know the the thing that that kind of wraps up the whole movie that I thought was really fun, way that they wrapped it up because they could have carried this on for like a three hour movie if they wanted to, because there's so many different avenues they could have taken these characters and everything else. But, um, but basically, work version clone number one he gets sick and basically gets fired from his job because he fails the house inspection and gets into a fight with Laura, and Doug gets all three clones together to build out their existing house and that's kind of the way in which he apologized to her for the disagreements that the clone had with her and so um, that kind of leads off that they're happy and in their happy home and the the three dudes move on to Florida to go build out their life um, in their three guys from nowhere pizzeria so (laughs) I like the way they closed out
0: yeah, I mean, that, that's fun, but I, I on one end, it is like, I, you know, it's like he's kind of, I feel like he's shirking on his responsibility of his own clones, just like, wow, this is too troublesome, get out of here. I mean, uh, <laughs> they they kind of want to get out of there too, I guess, in the end, so it's fine. But yeah, <laughs> uh, like Luke, you said earlier, he didn't, never really has to get, he never has any real comeuppance for this, um, you know, genetic blasphemy he's committed. <laughs> yeah
2: he never has challenges the clones don't fight over each other nobody's really fighting for with him to take over their life because they all technically have his his personality and his memories and his experiences so they're really tied to his life and nobody's fighting for it the clones so there was like really no there was no battle um
1: yeah well you brought up the schwarzenegger one the sixth day in that yeah. film, It that's entirely what it is like he's trying to take his life back from the clone or whatever. Whereas yeah, in this one, they don't seem to have much desire for that Right at the start, it seems like the first clone does want to like, what you mean? I don't get to live in the house. I don't get to spend time with Laura, but pretty quickly they sort of drop that. Um, I guess cause they just, they didn't want to make that kind of film with that kind of drama. They would try to make something a bit more fun and light.
0: I imagine when writing this movie, they, there was many times where it's like, oh, this is getting a little dark here, you know? Well, yeah, maybe Isn't there that... was, like,
1: a lot of the times you hear, like, oh, the first draft of the movie, it ends with Michael Keaton's clone beating him to death with his bare hands or something. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. the studio's like, no, that's not the film we're going to make, dude.
2: We're making a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To what I always yeah. remember,
1: do you know the Will Smith film, Hancock? Yeah. Originally, the original script, was about a superhero who every time he has sex with a woman, he kills her because, <laughs> because he can't control his strength. And it sounded oh like a goodness. really dark movie. And that obviously sounds like a like, really... Of yeah. course that's not getting made.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, that would have some serious uh, fallback from the FEMA audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so you won't really make a blockbuster with that. Of that storyline
1: i think that's often the case scripts start out as the writer has this like really wacky idea and then it just gets chiseled down to the version that can actually sell to an audience
2: oh i mean it goes to the same it goes to the same question of how real do you want to make this storyline because if it gets too real the the audience is going to be turned off they kind of people like to go to escapism yeah, people like the escapism. They like to go to the movies and watch movies so they can kind of feel better about life and have a happy ending.
1: I
0: guess that is where um, Groundhog's Day st- stands out as being more classic for basically balancing that or doing that balancing act a little bit better than this one. Yeah. Because that one's whimsical. It, I mean,
1: it actually does get dark for a while,
0: doesn't it? So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, Groundhog's I- Day has the thing that it can... It can do whatever it wants and not have consequences because that's the whole point of the film.
0: Yeah. here it's like they're maybe pulling their punches a little bit so it doesn't get like inherently yeah. dark. Because I mean what do you what what are you going to do with your
1: clone? You know, make friends with it, kill it or send it away. Well I remember the <laughs> shot where he does the bungee jumping I was like oh my god is he just killing clones now and it's like oh right no it's a bungee jump.
2: <laughs> no 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 because the difference the difference with Groundhog's day is that he's basically it's he's basically traveling to different versions of reality, to, you know, within the multiverse mm. and uh, within his consciousness. And the only thing that I thought that was disappointing about Groundhog's Day and Matthew touched on this on the last move, movie review was that it would have been funnier if um, if they had had one person remember all the versions, and that would be the groundhog.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know because he can't say anything, but he would recognize everything, and so that could be like his friend between the multiverse um, as he goes dies off and comes back and you know does that 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 loop. But in this version, there is no multiverse. there is just one version of reality and multiple clones of him.
1: Although, trying honestly, to figure well, no, out I could imagine perhaps if they'd had a slightly better actors. They could have done a bit where like the kids found out and the mum didn't or something
2: oh that would have been good that would have been funny if like if the daughter or the son would have found out like you're different dad I yeah like if they'd cutting... walked in
1: on two of them and they'd given them a little wink or something but no we never got anything like i wonder
0: that. if there's some uh cutting cutting room floor scenes with that and they just like you said the actors just went up for it <laughs> yeah
2: maybe maybe it would would have been funny if like the daughter really bonded with the um the household chores clone number two guy and then maybe they bonded playing house or playing dress up or playing doll
1: yeah and then the Uh, son bonded with like the ridiculous manly one and he became yeah
2: yeah playing baseball and you know building like tree houses and all that kind of stuff and then they um That would have been funny. That we should we should start writing movies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this again. This could have been a three-hour movie. So, how does this two-hour movie hold up today? Groundhog's Day is a stone cold classic. This one is. I guess kind of vaguely remembered um, it, it, it was a bit of a flop on release. It did not make its budget back. So <laughs> I think it was 45 million budget. I think it said it made 21 domestic, which is not good. So
1: like, it's definitely fun. And it, it's, I did, I did enjoy going back and watching it, but you have to watch it remembering like, Hey, this is a 25 year old film. Like some of the humor hasn't aged great. That's but if you're just true. like, mm-hmm. if you just want to watch Michael Keaton for two hours, you're going to get a big old dose of Michael Keaton. So who doesn't mm-hmm. want that?
2: Yeah. For me, looking at it uh, with with eyes as, as a 42-year-old woman as compared to a teenager watching it for the first time back in the, the 90s. For me, I think I think a lot of it is still relatable. However, I don't think it's re- really aged that well in that um roles of men and women in relationships have changed mm. um you know men are much more multi-dimensional they pick up more of the slack and and kind of there's more dimensions to men nowadays as they were maybe in the way they portrayed what men are supposed to be like um in the 90s and same thing with women uh you know so the the structure has evolved and changed and there's more complexity and sides to things. And so for me, it's kind of, um, time stamped itself to a certain era.
0: There's a lot of sitcom settings in here that you like, couldn't get away with in a movie now. (laughs) Like you can't get this sitcomy and have it work very well. So, um, it, but it, it's it i guess it has a charm is is the point so if you need an afterglow charm from Groundhog's day you might get a touch of it here but yeah it's definitely not on the same quality level but yeah the michael keaton shows is, is always fun so um any final points we want to throw out on this one as i think we're we're hitting into that
1: hour i mean if we wanted to be real geeks we could go in on the fact that apparently this is a geneticist cloning him so why is it like a full grown adult with his memories and not just like a little baby like when they did Dolly the Sheep Yeah, okay. I think it's, oh. it's that 90s problem of trying too hard to explain the science which Groundhog stated perfectly by just never explaining anything <laughs> I thought the guy was going to turn up and be like a genie and just be like oh yeah I'll grant your wishes an extra you but they tried to make it like quote unquote realistic <laughs> and yeah
0: yeah. Oh, the, uh, the other geek point is uh, the, one of the thing, reasons this movie was such a flop is it basically got a uh, body slammed by Independence Day. So
1: uh, I, I, yeah, I thought, it. You'd, thought mm. you'd appreciate that. <laughs> this
0: was the counter-programming that did not work.
1: <laughs> That's interesting because I, I see it as this feels like it's from a different era from Independence Day. But I guess it's because this was Michael Keaton in, in like the twilight of him being a leading man. And then Independence Day is Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith right at the start of their career as leading men.
0: Yeah. We'd well, already gotten Jurassic Park, right? But <laughs> but I guess Yeah, but he's he's, he's
1: a... like third or fourth building in Jurassic Park.
0: Yeah, good point. Um anyway, I guess we'll wrap up today. So Von, you were mentioning you're you're doing a your own podcast, was it?
2: Yeah, so um my podcast is Merkaba Chakras podcast, and you can pretty much find it on YouTube and any other video sharing site like BitChute and Odyssey and Rumble, Rockfin. Um, And you can also find it on 65 different podcast sites. Just do an in- in- internet search for Merkaba Chakras podcast. And and basically, I interview different book authors um about their perspective on different things about the metaphysical aspects of all reality. So makapa chakras is just Buddhism in the fifth dimension. And um, I, my books can be found on Amazon as well. There's three Buddhism books there that I've written. And I just started working on the final book of the Buddhist mandalas Trinity series, um, which closes out this whole experience of physicality. Um, from a Buddhist perspective. So I'm hoping by the end of the year, they'll finally be done, but I just cracked it back open and started writing. So we will see what happens.
0: I can make lots of music, but I still cannot wrap my head around the idea of uh, cranking out a book. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm great at finishing first draft of books and then refusing to ever look at them again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Luke, what do we do?
1: If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find it on Twitter at Pod or also on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of that. If you want to help support the show and keep it online, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcastius, And while you're there, you'll find links to all the other shows that me and Matt create. So even if you don't want to throw us any money, that's a good place to go and find us. Uh, you've got Matt's Twilight Zone podcast, Time Enough podcast. You've got his weird experimental films podcast, Oral Hygiene you got me doing the video game stuff with the Pokemon podcast, Loot Buzz Pokemon, the Monster Hunter podcast, Monster Mash, and the newest podcast on our network, uh, Game Game Show, a game show about games. There's a lot of
2: podcasting going on there, <laughs> <is>. guys.
0: <Yeah. laughs> I just wake up in the morning, roll over, and start talking to someone. It's, it's, it's groovy. <laughs> <laughs> okay as always thanks for coming in and having a chat with us about a a fun film well we've had a few not fun films too but this is a fun film so
1: (laughs) go see it go see it all right well i'll see you around okay yo what i'll see you around i guess i'll uh, I'll see you around (laughs) bye-bye
0: Coming soon, Robocop, Wild Wild West, Picard Season 2.